part two of a message of, of the good shepherd. We know that Jesus is the only good shepherd. And I want to encourage you today, as before we get into this, I want you to just, as we're, just for a few minutes while I'm sharing with you and reading the scripture to you before we actually get into it, just, just take a glance at this picture. Because <laughs> it's really just a scene of a, a pen, which is very common in Israel back at, the, at that time, and they even use them today. And where the sheep can go in and they can find comfort and they can find uh, protection. And I think it's probably true for all of us this morning because I find myself in the same position. Have you found yourself distracted lately? <laughs> I was a little heavy this morning when I first started the announcements because it is something that's heavy on my heart because I find that not only myself, but I know that many of you are struggling with what is happening in our world. And it is very disconcerting. There's no doubt about it because we've never been here before. We've never been here before. We've never been through the COVID thing. We've never been through that to this extent. And we certainly haven't been through what is occurring in our world right now. And yet the Bible tells us, and aren't you glad that Jesus is the good shepherd? Because he told us in advance of these things that are coming. So it ought not to surprise us. Don't be surprised with what you see happening in the world. These things are just going along as God had intended. Not as he intended, but as he knows, and he foretold us. Remember when we were in the book of Revelation during that whole dark period of the COVID year? <laughs> we were going through the book of Revelation, and that was no mistake, and that wasn't planned by me, by the way. It wasn't. We were just going systematically through the scriptures, and it just so happened <laughs> that when that whole COVID thing hit, and everything started to change. We were going through the very book that I think God, now looking back, wanted us to be in because he's saying, prepare yourself. Prepare yourself and don't be afraid. Do not let fear dominate you, whether with the virus or the things that are going on in our country. Do not let fear take control of you. There's no need to fear. In fact, that's why he gave us. He told us these things in advance so that we wouldn't fear. See, that's what a good shepherd does. A bad shepherd wouldn't tell you of things that are coming. Because if he was a bad shepherd, he probably wouldn't know anyway. But God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. He knows all things. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent, all-powerful. Only he alone can tell us what is happening or what is going to happen in the future and he does that, why? So that we would be settled as much as possible. Think of what life would be like if you were going through what we're going through and you had no idea the end game. Seriously, think of those unbelieving family members and friends that you have that are going through what we're going through right now and they have no, they have no anchor. They have no anchor whatsoever. And so they're completely blind to what's happening because it's spiritually discerned, isn't it? And it's spiritually discerned because this tells us. And you have to have the Spirit of God in you shows you these things. Isn't that one of the jobs, if you will, of the Holy Spirit, to show you things to come? That's what he's doing, folks. He's showing us. The Lord is showing us. And be encouraged in that. Don't be discouraged and don't be fearful. No, don't be fearful. Please. And many of you are. And you know, honestly, myself, I had been. And there are times that I get really frustrated because, again, not having ever been in this place before, it's hard to see my country that I love. And again, we're Christians first, then I'm an American second. 
but I'm a Christian living in America. Ought I not to be concerned about my country? I love this country for the principles that that were established long ago. It's not a perfect country, and there is no perfect country. There's no perfect church. This church isn't perfect. I'm not perfect. There's only one that the Bible tells me who is, and that's Jesus, right? Remember that. But some of us have been let off course. Some of us have been walking outside of the fold and walking out into the desert, and we have no idea where we're going. Even as Christians, we can be in that place of being completely rudderless, out there in the sea, trying to figure out where, what's going on. And folks, listen, now, like I said before, is a time that we need to be in this. We need to be in the Word of God. God has never lied to you. This is His Word. It's perfect. The Scripture is inspired by God. It is immaculate. The translations, eh, they got a few issues, but you know what? It doesn't deter from the truth and the main doctrine of the Bible. But the original manuscripts were flawless, inspired by God. Do you believe that? Thank God. (laughs) Thank God you do. But you can turn to the Word of God. Turn to it and then be prayerful. Be prayerful unlike you've ever been before. Seriously, draw near, draw close. Get into the fold and buckle down and get ready. Because God is on the move. And you may think that things are falling apart, but like the song says from Casting Crowns, they're falling into place. They really are falling into place. So be incredibly encouraged. I am so privileged to live in this time in history because you and I, the church, we have this great mandate from God to go out into all the world and to share the gospel with all, every creature, with every person, regardless of their color, regardless of their, their persuasion, regardless of whatever sin issue they're, they've got. They, they could be a serial killer. It doesn't matter. Do they, do they need to hear the gospel? Does anybody, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter whether you're Republican, Democrat, or Independent. It doesn't matter what you are. You need to hear the truth and the love of God. That's the only thing that's going to set you free, you see. It's the only thing that's going to bring us to glory. The gospel, the good news. It's good news because I deserve hell. By the way, you do too, no offense. (laughs) That's a great message. Repeat that, please. Right? No, it's true. We deserve that. But guess what? That's not what's going to happen to you, Christian. You know why? Yes. For God has not appointed us, the church, to wrath, but to obtain what? Salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. That's, what's, that's his desire. And guess what? It's his desire, and guess what? It's going to happen. He has not appointed you to wrath. That doesn't mean that you're not going to go through some difficulties. It, not, it doesn't mean that you're, going to go through the, that you're not going to go through a crucible of sorts, but you are not going to see the judgments that are coming upon the world yet. And the Bible tells us, didn't we look at that at Revelation 6 through 19? Until Christ returns for the church in the rapture, there is going to be a, a time coming unlike any other time. And you have to be prepared. You have to be born again. Because only the church is leaving this earth When Jesus calls her the bride of Christ, we will be lifted up off this earth, translated. These old bodies, this mortality will put on immortality. This corruption will put on incorruption. We will receive a new resurrected body like Jesus' body when he rose. And guess what? There's a man in heaven right now with the scars in his hands, and he is coming back. He told us the promise. 
He says, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you might also be. Do you believe that? You must believe that. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, a very religious man, there's a lot of religious people in the world that think they're doing okay, and we're going to be looking at that here today. A lot of people think, well, I go to church, I do this, I do that, I wear the robes, I say the, you know, I I get out my beads and I pray the rosary and all that. It doesn't matter. Listen, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. He wants you to come to him. He is the good shepherd. He is the one. He is the door. And there's only one way of admittance inside that sheep pen that God has called us to. There's only one way, and it's through the door. And Jesus said, I am the door. What did he say in John 14, verse 6? He says, I am the way, the truth. I am the only way, literally is what it means in the Greek. I am the only way. I am the only truth. I am the only life. And no one comes unto the Father except through me, he said. That's what he said. And Jesus now, as we're looking at this, beginning in verse 7 in John, chapter 10. Jesus had just healed a blind man, you remember. He had just healed a blind man. And the Pharisees were all upset because he did it on the Sabbath. He healed the man. And Jesus upbraided them for their hardness of heart and their unbelief. And Jesus said to them, and I'm just going to back up here in uh, chapter 9 and verse 39. He says, for judgment I have come into the world, and those who do not, that those who do not see, may see, and that those who see may be made blind. And then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words, and they said, Are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. The Pharisees, the scribes, they were supposed to be the under-shepherds of the great shepherd. And that's why Jesus had such a hard time with them, because their role, their purpose in Israel was to lead people to Christ, to lead them to their Messiah who had been foretold hundreds of years, even a couple thousand years in advance, even at that time. They were supposed to be pointing them, the people to him. And instead they were getting rich and they were doing their own things. Self-righteous hypocrites they were. We see that in the world today, even in the church. Self-righteous hypocrites. But Jesus wanted them to come into the fold. He wanted even the Pharisees and the scribes. He made them accountable by saying what he is saying to them now. Because notice, there's a chapter break here right after what I just shared with you, right? Unfortunate, these chapter breaks. These were put in by the translators, okay? But if you remove that chapter 10 and the heading of Jesus, the true shepherd, the narrative continues. And this is history, not just a story, right? So he said that to them, and he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, who does, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, notice, but climbs up some other way, and that can be world religions. You try to climb up some other way, listen, you're not going to make it to heaven. I don't care who you are. I don't care who it is, what guru in the Middle East who's folding his legs in lotus position. It doesn't matter. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm not afraid to say it, are you? He said to them, he said to the scribes and the Pharisees, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not climb, does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber, but he who enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. I love that. 
And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow, for they know his voice. Do you know the voice of Jesus? It's a still, small voice. It's not a condemning voice. I felt like as we were worshiping this morning, I felt like we were just being dipped in a stream. Just the peace was so wonderful. He leads us beside, you know, into the green pastures, beside the still waters. That's what he does. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Are you following Jesus? Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And Jesus used this illustration, but notice, they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Do you remember a couple weeks ago I shared with you a short little video snippet of a, uh, a shepherd looking for his lost sheep? And it was really touching. Honestly, I, I wept the first couple times I, I watched it. But it was a sheep out in the, out in the desert, and, and, and they showed it. You know, it was a, a real thing. And the sheep was wandering out in the desert, very scared. It was moving here, going, you know, trying to figure out where to go. And then you could hear the voice of the shepherd off in the distance, making a peculiar sound that the sheep would know. The sheep knew the voice of the shepherd, and the sheep knew that specific sound Because often shepherds will have an individual sound for an individual sheep. He knows the sheep, and the sheep knows the shepherd. What a communion, what a unity, what a beautiful thing. And see, that's what God wants for us. He knows you more than you can possibly know. But the thing is, is do we know him? And see, that's where our part of it comes in. We got to know him. We have to know him and get to know him. Get to know him better. Be in his word. Get commentaries. Do whatever you got to do, but get into the word of God and pray like you've never prayed before and say, God, change this old wretched heart of mine. Does anybody have a wretched heart? Raise your hand. Oh, I'm so glad that none of you raised your hand. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> no, we all do, if we're honest. <laughs> and that's a prerequisite, by the way being born again. You have to know that you have a wretched heart. Then you can be admitted into the pen. And let me just say that that pen is the kingdom of God in a sense, symbolically. There's no other way to get there but through him. It's open to everybody. Because here's the deal, folks, and I'm way off course here, but I don't care. I'm just going with this. (laughs) There's no one else. And here's the difference between world religions and Christianity. Every guru, every founder of any, Christ, any, any uh, cult or any other world religion, they've never claimed to die for the sin of man. They've never claimed to die for sin. In fact, sin is something they don't like to talk about because how do you attract believers when you, when, you, when you tell them, hey, you've got a sin issue? You're born with sin, right? Nobody likes to hear that. They don't talk about that. But Jesus is the only one who says, I paid the price for your sin. Yes, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But he paid the price. He's the only one who has paid the price. Joseph Smith never paid that price of the Mormons. He never paid the price. Charles Taz Russell from the Jehovah's Witnesses, he never paid that price. Allah... A moon god, that's literally what his name, is, name means, he never paid the price. Buddha never paid that price. There is no one in history that has paid that price but Jesus Christ. 
That is why it's so important that we come into him in his fold. And guess what? He's not like, you know, he's not mad that, that you don't come to his, be a part of his group. See, Islam, they will, their, their worshipers will kill you if you don't, because you're an infidel and you've got to come to them if you're not part of their fold. But they don't talk about sin that much. They certainly don't have a sin bearer. They hope that they can make it to heaven. But God says, I've, I've paid the price. But no one has the claim that we have that God has told us concerning himself. And only God can pay the price for sin. And Jesus, the word of God become flesh who dwelt among us, he is the one who paid the price. Holy God paid the price for sinful man. No one else has ever done that. Ever. Ever. And notice, let's go on here. It says, Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, and all whoever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them notice, and I am the door, he says the second time. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Notice that. And will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life. Notice that. And that they may have it life more abundantly. And here's the first mention of, I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees, and the, whole, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. But notice the second time and the last time Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. Hallelujah. <laughs> I love that. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep, notice this. Is there anybody who, this morning here who's Jewish? A couple, right? The rest of us are, guess what? Gentiles, right? Jesus says, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold. <laughs> we are of the other fold. Gentiles, we are from that other fold. Notice what God says. Them must also I bring, and they, notice, they will hear my voice. The Jews who had everything given to them, the very word of God, the oracles of God, they rejected their Savior, but Jesus said, there's, there's another group, another fold that I'm going to bring into the fold, and they will hear me, they will listen to me, and they will obey me. And I must bring them, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. That's the church made up of Jew and Gentile. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Is, was Jesus' life taken from him, or did he willingly give it up? He willingly gave it up. That's what the Bible says. He willingly went to the cross. So no one takes it from me, Jesus says, but I lay it down of myself. Notice, I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment I have received of my Father. Therefore, there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of a one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And the obvious answer is no. All the devil can do, all a demon can do, is destroy. That's all they can do. That's all that they do, is destroy. They're bent on it. 
Now it was the feast of the dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch, and then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Hadn't he been telling them all along? Hasn't it been fairly obvious, all the miracles? Even before Pilate, before he was crucified, what did Pilate say? Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, you said it. Yeah, I am. I am the Messiah, the king of the Jews. They all knew, but what they wanted to hear, what they really wanted to hear was Jesus to stand up on a megaphone, with a megaphone on top of the Empire State Building and say, I am God! And then they would pick up stones and stone him to death. That's what they wanted. But all of his life just oozed the very power of God. It was fairly obvious. There was, no, there, was, there was no reason for them not to understand. He was very clear with them in his life and in his words. And they said, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I've told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I will give them eternal life, notice. I will give them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has, who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand and out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. I like that. I and my Father are one. Do you have assurance this morning? You do. There's great assurance in Jesus. Let's go back to verse 7. I don't think we're going to get through this all today. We'll finish it next week because I can tell already. But notice back in verse 7. It says, Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And Jesus made seven I am statements. Statements that proved that he was God in the flesh. When he said, I am, and there was a number of things, seven different I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And in this chapter, we see him, I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Later, in the next chapter, he's going to say, I am the resurrection of life. Whenever he says, I am, he is equating himself with his Father, thus being equal with God. He is God in the flesh. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. They are all one. Three persons, yet the Trinity, all one. And this door that Jesus spoke of obviously is speaking metaphorically of, of a door physically like we saw in that graphic where the shepherd would sit right in the door and nothing would be able to get in and out without him knowing about it. And he would have a rod and a staff there for that purpose of protecting those sheep that are inside. And also we saw that it's symbolic of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the door and notice in verse 8, back in our text, says, All whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. And he, see, here's the idea that when we or anyone else tries to enter the kingdom of God except through Christ, they are a thief and a robber, and it will not be permitted. The thieves and the robbers were the religious leaders. Those who were supposed to be pointing and encouraging people to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
but rather they were leading people away from him and rather seeking to bring believers to themselves. They wanted their own church. They didn't want to be a part of the fold. They wanted to have their own fold and have the sheep belong to them instead of belong to Christ. There's a big problem with that, don't you think? (laughs) Then it becomes about the, the pastor. It becomes about the minister. It's not about them at all. It's about Jesus. Notice in verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Sozo, it literally means to be saved, to be saved eternally. That's why when we say, I got saved, that means that I've confessed my sin, I know that I'm going to heaven. Not because of any good thing that I've done, but rather I believe what Jesus said about himself. For God so loved the world that he gave God the Father gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have what? Everlasting life, not just a physical life. We have a wonderful life. I don't know about you, but I'm so excited to be here and to be alive but have the Spirit of God indwelling me. I am so glad for that. I need, I I don't know how I live beside that or outside of that. For years I lived outside of Christ, and what an awful thing that was. (laughs) It was awful. But notice, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out of pasture. Notice, only the door, only through the door, is there any way of going in and out. The The shepherd is the one collecting the tickets. Collecting the tickets. Come aboard, Jesus says. Are you going to come aboard the church ship? Or are you going to stay outside? Remember what happened in the, in, in, in the book of Genesis in chapter 7? Remember when the door of the ark was open? And yet only eight people out of the whole population of the world at that time, which was pretty large, only eight people survived. And the rest of them perished in the flood. The worldwide global flood. There's fossils on some of the highest mountain peaks in the world. Saltwater fossils, you know, fossils. I wonder how they got there. That is interesting. Somebody must have planted them there. No, there was a global flood, folks. A global flood. But he is collecting tickets on board that ship. Are you going to be on that ship? Or are you going to say, well, I can do it my own way? Well, Hope that works out for you, but it never worked for me. It never works. It is his way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Notice in verse 10, the thief doesn't come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I love that. He wants you to have life. He doesn't want to kill you. Some people walk around as if God is punishing them. I'm a Christian. I can't smoke anymore. I can't drink. You can do whatever you want. But let me tell you something. As you start uh, tearing apart this temple that Jesus said is the the temple of the Holy Spirit, your body, you start tearing it apart, you're going to be convicted about that. Why why would you want to do that when God wants to, to, to bless you and to make you better? 
He wants to bless you. He wants you to have life and life more abundant. What did he say in Matthew chapter 23, verse 13, when he was really getting on the case of the Pharisees? I love what he said. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. They were actually keeping people from entering the fold, keeping people from entering in. They should have been ushers ushering them in. Instead, they were blockading them from going in. They wouldn't go in themselves. And Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You're hypocrites. You're a bunch of play actors. Don't you hate play acting in church? Don't you hate a pastor who's one way here and he's, you see him out drinking in the bars, hanging out with all of you, drinking? There's a problem. But see, there's always, this has always been the heart of God to give you life and more abundantly. Jesus died that we might live. Yes, we are to crucify our flesh. The Bible tells us that, right? In Romans 12, verse 1, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, Paul tells the Romans, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's kind of a, an oxymoron, isn't it? Because a sacrifice is something that dies. But he's saying, make yourself a living sacrifice. That means I'm alive, but i got to sacrifice something. Yes, the old members, those old things in your body, the hatred, the fornication, the homosexuality, you name it, the anger, the everything, all those evil things that we read about, those are things that we need to sacrifice. And he says it's your reasonable service. I love that. It's not even something that's like, oh, it's so taxing. I just can't stand to be a Christian. I think I'm going to go to Buddha. Hey, let me tell you, Buddha is the worst taskmaster that you've ever seen. You've got to live up to his standards. And there's no grace. <laughs> and you're not even sure if you're going to get to heaven. But Jesus says, when you come to him, that you are his. And there is nothing in heaven above. We'll read it in this chapter. There's nothing in heaven above or on earth beneath that can keep you, can pluck you out of his hand. When you are in God's hand, there is nothing and no one that can take it away. No one. The devil is not all-powerful, as some like to purport. He is a created being. He is not all-powerful. God is all-powerful. And guess what? He loves you immensely. He loves you more than you can possibly know. I pray that if you get nothing out of today is to know that he is the good shepherd and he loves you. He wants you to bring you into the fold for protection and love. Isn't that what a parent does? They, they, they have their kids in their home to love them, to nurture them, to show compassion, to grow them. And also, it's also to protect them from the outside elements. As a parent, that's our mandate, to protect our kids. Jesus, the great shepherd, the good shepherd, the greatest shepherd, he sees us that way, and he wants to protect you. He wants to bless you. So let me ask you again, are you in the fold today? If you're not, please come to him. Come up after the service. We're not going to have an altar call and embarrass anybody. If you haven't received Christ today, you must receive him. You must come up. I'd be glad to pray with you. There's some other pastors and elders. We'd be glad to pray with you. Would you please consider that very seriously? Because, folks, we are at the end of the end. We're getting to the end. Amen. Wake up. We are at the end. 
more than we've ever been before. I used to think, well, you know, people have been saying that for a long time. Yeah, they have, and it has been. It's been getting darker and darker. Things have been lining up and lining up with the Scripture for a long time, but now it is becoming more clear. The Bible back in the 1800s was like a black and white document, and each year that goes by, it's getting more darker and darker, and all of a sudden there's more color, you know, faded color. Now it's becoming more vibrant. It's becoming, oh my goodness, here we are. Do you you have eyes to see that? And only the Spirit of God in you is going to help you. That's why Jesus said, you must be born again. And God will show you. And it becomes very obvious to me. I've been saved for 26 years. And I knew nothing. And especially in this last year and a half, it's been like, oh my goodness. (laughs) Things are changing And at first I was scared, and then I thought to myself, Lord, you are definitely on the throne. Because everything we've been reading about in Revelation, everything we've been reading, everything that Daniel's been talking about, everything that Ezekiel's been talking about, it's all lining up. It's all lining up. Even the nations around us are lining up, but I digress. (laughs) But give your life. He came to give you life and life more abundantly. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, Um, You can mark this. I'm just going to read it to you for the sake of time. I apologize. I'm kind of like a bullet sometimes. But in Deuteronomy chapter 30, remember, Jesus says, I have given you life and that life more abundantly. What did he say to the Jews before they crossed over into the promised land? In Deuteronomy 30, it says this, beginning in verse 15, God says to them before they cross over into the promised land, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. And that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, that you may live, notice that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But, here's a conditional statement, but, circle that, but if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods, lowercase g, and you serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess it. And here it is, verse 19, what does he say? And this is very pertinent for us today for many reasons, personally and corporately in America I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Let me repeat that again. Choose life. Choose life. That you, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Choose life. If you're a Christian... You ought to be pro-life. And you know what? There's some that don't like that, and I really don't care. And you know why? Because this is the truth. This is the truth. If you, I don't care what party you belong to. If you are pro-choice, you've got a big problem with God. You've got a big problem. And I'm, I'm not just trying to influence you. I read to you 
what he says. He says, choose life. And ladies, let me say something to you. Because I know that there are some in this room, when they were young and they were reckless, they had an abortion. And please understand that if you have asked God to forgive you, and if you're a Christian right now and you gave your heart to him, he'll never look upon that sin again. You've you got to know that. And he will comfort you. There's no, there's no problem there. Because you've come to him and you've confessed that sin. And what is the promise? If, he, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there's some of you here today that are smarting over a choice you made long ago when you were young and foolish, like I was. You made that decision, but guess what? God loves you. If you've confessed it and you're one of his, he'll never look upon it again. He casts your sin as far as the east is from the west and the sea of forgetfulness, he'll never look at it again. You must believe that or you're gonna walk around wounded for the rest of your life. So please understand that, that that is the truth. If you're a Christian and you've done that in your past, it's over, it's done, he'll never look at it again. Why? Because of the blood of Christ. You gotta believe it. You must believe that or your relationship with is going to be stunted. You're going to walk around with a peg leg and you're going to be hobbling around the world. Know it, believe it in your heart. In Mark chapter 12, verse 27, Jesus said, He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Notice at the end of verse 10, back in our text now, it says, I have come to give life and that they may have it more abundantly. And remember that Jesus is not just concerned about our physical life. He's very concerned about that, but even more importantly, our spiritual life, because that that determines our eternal destiny. We all have an eternity waiting for us, a destiny ahead of us. And you make the decision today based on your understanding and your belief in Jesus or not. You make that decision today where you're going to go. That's the bottom line. If you are in Christ, you're going to be with him where there are pleasures for every more holy pleasures, not the pleasures of the world. <laughs> holy pleasures in his presence. But if you reject him and you die, you take your last breath and you're still unrepentant, the Bible gives you no other, there's no other recourse but that you go to hell. Yes, I said that. Actually, I didn't say it. God says that. Jesus talked about hell more than anybody else. He did. It's a real place. And that's what got me into the kingdom of God, honestly. Somebody told me, <laughs> share with me my sins. That were, I knew they were my sins. A good friend approached me and he says, Rob, he says, what you're doing right now is going to send you straight to hell. And I'm like, Pfft. And then he brought out the Bible and he showed it to me in black and white. And I quivered. No kidding. I shook like a leaf. Conviction of God fell upon me. I knew I was bound for hell. And that very day, I gave my heart to Christ. I went up to my apartment room. I kneeled down next to my bed. I can see it in my eyes, my memory, just like it was yesterday. And I knelt down and I convulsively, on my knees, laying flat on my stomach at times, crying convulsively, asking God to forgive me for my wretchedness. He wants you to have life and more abundantly. And notice what he says in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life. See, even though Jesus was and is the good shepherd, he suffered and was despised just like his predecessor, King David. King David. You know, David suffered many things before he came into the kingdom, running from the hand of Saul. 
going through a lot of mental, losing his mind at one point, literally. And he was hated for quite a while until he came into the throne. And shepherds were never looked upon with with any kind of esteem. We know in Genesis 46 when Joseph, before they left Egypt, Joseph, preparing his brothers for what he would say to Pharaoh, said to them, when you go into Pharaoh and he says, what is your occupation? Say, your servant's occupation has been with the livestock from our youth even till now, both we and our fa- also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Every shepherd. Even in Israel, shepherds weren't highly esteemed. And Jesus was and is the good shepherd. Jesus, like David, went through many horrible things, although quite a few more horrible things, and things that we can't even imagine. Can you imagine what happened on the cross? Certainly we, you know, some of you have seen the passion of the Christ. And Jesus being flogged and being beaten and the crown of thorns and the sword and all of those things, all of those bodily, physical things. But let me suggest to you that the greatest thing that nobody could see was what he did on the cross for us spiritually. As he hung on the cross, I bet the devil was right there in his face looking at him, standing right before him and going, you thought you were the son of God? Why don't you get up off the cross? I got you now. I tried to kill you when you were just an infant. I put in the heart of Herod to kill all the infants, two years old and under, try to extinguish you, and now here you are, game over, checkmate. (laughs) And Jesus says, we'll see about that. We'll see about that on the third day. And what did he, he rose on the third day, in power and might, right? But Jesus was despised. Isaiah tells us that in Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report, um, Isaiah says, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form or comeliness that when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Notice, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten and afflicted but he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripe that's literally what it is it says stripes but in the hebrew it's a singular noun by the single blow what is that blow paying the price god placing upon him the sin of mankind that was the blow that did it Many people have been crucified, but only one has taken the sin. He is the only sin bearer ever. Did Buddha ever die for your sin? Did Allah, did David Koresh, did he die for your sin? Did Jim Jones, for those who are alive back in the 70s, most of us, many of us. Did the Kool-Aid make you better? No, it didn't. And all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, just as the shepherd is trying to draw us into his fold. We, myself included, went another direction. I didn't want anything to do with him. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on himself, on Jesus, the Messiah. He's laid on him. God the Father has laid on his son the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Notice yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus is the good shepherd. We're going to continue this. We're going to continue for a few more minutes and then we're going to stop because time is fleeting. Jesus, the good. Turn with me to Psalm 23. There's still a lot more to this message. But look at Psalm 23. We're just going to get into this briefly and then we'll stop and finish next week. Honestly, this is a significant portion of Scripture because Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. This is one of the most significant statements that he will make, in my opinion. Because we are like sheep. We've gone astray, but he has come to set us free, to bring us into the fold for safety and to care for us, to love us, to nurture us. I love that about him, don't you? Just to the compassion, the sensitivity of Jesus? Is there anybody else who cares for you like him? You may have gone through difficulty, but you know what? Those difficulties, what does that do? It brings us closer to him. It, it, uh, it brings us to an end of ourselves. And we have no place to look. Didn't Peter say that to Jesus? <laughs> Jesus said to his disciples at one point, are you guys going to go too? And Peter said the most amazing thing, where are we going to go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Where can we go? There's nowhere else to go. Run to Christ. Run into his arms. Run into his love. Let him embrace you today. Notice in Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The means, the idea is, I shall not lack anything. God will make sure. He promised that he, I mean, there's been times where you've gone out for a little bit of time, but you've never gone without for very long. God has always been faithful to you. Even as an unbeliever, he's been a good shepherd to you. He's been a good shepherd to me. In fact, all the time I was running away from him, he was drawing me back. He was wooing me unto himself. That's what he did. People in my life were always interjecting in my life at different times in my life before I was 26, trying to tell me, Rob, you're a sinner. (laughs) And God loves you. He loves you, and he wants to forgive you of that sin. He's got a great plan for your life. Well, I've got my own plan for my life, thank you very much. I did, and I'm so glad he changed my life because I'm more blessed now than I've ever been, and it's because of what he did. I I feel like I had nothing to do with it. I felt like I was just walking and he's just clothing me and doing stuff all the time I'm walking closer to him. And I had nothing to say other than, huh, I'm unworthy. Unworthy and very thankful, very thankful. Are you thankful this morning? Oh, it's so good to be thankful. Something the church, and that's part of our worship, isn't it? Thankfulness. Thankfulness. Be thankful. I, I like to give thanks for the roof that we put, had put on over, uh, what is it now, eight years ago. We had a roof put on this whole entire complex prior to that, I was one of the people, part of my job was to go around and, and, and catch empty water pails. Seriously. Not just in the church here, but also in all of our other tenants that we have. They all had these uh, ceilings like we have in the fellowship hall, you know, the ceiling tiles. We had pans up underneath catching the water. This place was Swiss cheese. 
I felt like I lived in a colander rather than a church. I have no idea why I went down there. Yes, he is faithful. He put this, he put this roof on and it cost a really pretty penny, a very pretty penny. But you know what? I was so thankful and I still give thanks to that. Because there were a number of hours every day that I spent being a water boy, emptying those pans with electric siphons and a five-gallon pail on top of a 12-foot ladder in some cases. That was always fun, standing on the top of the very top rung of the ladder with a, a five-gallon pail and whatnot, and then an electronic siphon, siphoning water into the thing. Because have you tried to move it? I'm, I'm digressing here. Hang on, hang on. But I got to share this pain. Um, <laughs> Have you ever seen an aluminum pan, ladies? You know, the kind you, you buy for Thanksgiving and you put the turkey in the oven, those big ones like that. They're aluminum, right? And they're disposable. Try putting one in the ceiling and have it collect water for a week or a couple days and the whole thing is completely full. Miracle of miracles, it didn't just come through the ceiling because it's, you know, resting on those rafters. Try moving that. You can't. You've got to siphon it. So anyway, just <laughs> pity me. <laughs> or better yet, don't pity me. All right, back to the regularly programmed message. But notice, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not lack anything. That's what it means. In Isaiah chapter 40, and, and keep your hand there in, in, in this, on Psalm 23, because we're going to end in just a few minutes. But in Isaiah 40, verse 10, it says, Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those who are with young. And I love that. I love that. I there's this picture that, um, that actually Pastor Jeff stole from me. Actually, I gave it to him. I'm only kidding. But it's a picture of Simeon, and he's holding Jesus in his hand, and he's got this euphoric look on his face. And, and, and I've seen pictures also of, of a shepherd holding a sheep, a lost sheep that has gone away, a little lamb, and he picks it up. And there's nothing more tender and more sweet that you've ever seen and something like that. And see, that's the way the Lord does with us. He wants to bring you into a good pasture. Notice verse 2 and 3. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. In green pastures, not pastures that are yellow and, and dying. The grass is very green. It's very plush. He leads me beside those into those green pastures where the sheep can do what? They can lay down and they can just sit there and eat. Have you seen a sheep lay on, put, put its legs underneath like this? And just kind of reach over. And... <laughs> there is no pose in the world that says, I am completely under the care of my shepherd. He's caring for me. I'm in no fear of the wolves and the bears. I don't have to worry about food. It's a picture of perfect contentedness. Perfect contentedness, knowing that all the needs are met and I'm safe, I'm secure. Folks, we are safe and secure in the arms of Jesus who holds us like that lamb. Notice, he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And a good shepherd will go out into the field. 
He goes out into the field with his sheep beforehand, and he looks for things that they shouldn't eat, poisonous weeds, making sure there's a good water source that's flowing. Not flowing too hard. You want to know why? Because if that stream is flowing too fast, (laughs) have you seen the anatomy of a sheep? Notice how close their nose is to their mouth. If that stream is going too, if it's too rough, if it's too, if it's not still, they can actually drown trying to get a drink of water. The water gets in their nose they, because their nose is right next to the mouth. He leads us beside the still waters. Still because of that feature of them. And it's still and it's clean and it's pure. And that's what the Lord wants for us. To be in his word and that's where we're going to end today. The water of the word of God. The word of God is the cleansing agent for us, isn't it? As we read it, what does it do? It brings conviction. We find that we we can be encouraged and cared for as we read it. We find out who God really is and who we are in the great gulf between us. And then we see the plan of redemption from Genesis to Revelation all being meted out and played out before us in our lives, in other people's lives, in the world. He's doing all of this right now. He is the good shepherd. And the Lord wants to bring you into that pasture of green where it's peaceful. I remember when we were in Israel this last, um, the March before last. And I remember a field there next to the Galilee and it was a beautiful field. It was a very nice day. The sun was shining. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. Everything was in full bloom, and there we are sitting in this field. And it's just so beautiful. And I thought to myself, looking forward to the day, when we'll be with Jesus forever. Do you long for that day? I do. I long for it. Oh, goodness. Why don't we stand? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are the good shepherd. Lord, thank you for leading us all these years. And Lord, thank you that you are not finished. Lord, that you're continuing to lead us. You're continuing to draw us, Lord, into your fold. You're continuing to care for us. You're continuing to show compassion and love for us, Lord, even when we could never deserve it. Even though, even in our failure and even in our sin, Lord, there's nothing within us that says, I deserve this, Lord. And yet, even in spite of all these things, you still are searching. You're still coming after us. You're still encouraging us to draw near. Lord, how we thank you for that. There's no one like that. That kind of love changes lives, Lord. Your love for us has changed us forevermore. Lord, help us to be a church. Lord, your body. Lord, those of us here at Calvary Chapel of Rochester, Lord, help us. And Lord, I have failed so much in this. 
to allow your love to be working through me like it should. Lord, help me and help my brothers and sisters as well, Lord, to be these vessels of your great love. Lord, to no longer look at each other with a a suspicious eye. To no longer look at each other and be sizing each other up, but rather see us all part of the flock, Lord, in this process of sanctification, little by little, little by little. Lord, help us to love one another. And Lord, send us, send us out into our communities, into our workplaces, into our own families, wherever it is that we are. Lord, help us to be on a rescue mission because that's what it is now, Father. It's a rescue mission. Lord, how we pray that you would just do this work in us and that, Lord God, you would have the very best of us. And Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning that hasn't given their heart to you, Lord, that this very day they would be welcomed and and they would come into the very fold of God because of your great love, how we thank you and how we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jesus loves you all. See you again soon. God bless.